City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Acres and acres of tar and cement, and uh, Eugenia and I just pulled up on our bikes about the same time, so we've just ridden over acres and acres, and she uh, ran into someone on the way as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, bleeding right now from oh, my minor bike accident this morning. I know. <laughs> Very First minor. aid, please. Yeah. You need a cup of tea, and you're going to get one. You'll be the third person in this room to get one today. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> that was Eugenia Zubchenko, and we've got um, Meg Kimber over there, and I'm Kimber Healy. It is City Limits, and mm-hmm. Meg's pressing the buttons for us. She's doing a great job so far, isn't she? She's doing a great job Wonderful. so far. In the last so, two yes. minutes, you mean? Yes. Yep, thank so, you. So far, stunningly brilliant. <laughs> and uh, we're, uh, it's housing day, and we've got April Break from the Housing with the Aged Action Group possibly coming in, but she said she's more likely to be on the phone ringing because um, I think a traffic problem. In fact, when I spoke to her yesterday, she was sitting in a traffic jam talking to mm. me. So. A lot of our uh, guests seem, seem to do that, mm. call in from a traffic jam. Yes, mm. so um, there you are. But she's sounding a bit low too. She's talking about the number, the increasing number of older people who are becoming homeless and I think that's something we might mm. talk about this morning so that's that but other than that well, that's that's the show we're going to have a yarn about lots of things and also um, I have just to uh, break it up in case people get bored with us chatting away I have brought in a CD we might play a track Wonderful. at some point so That'd we'll see how we go yeah. and in fact I've used the CD to break up the two halves of this file so it's tucked away in the middle Unless it's actually fallen out in the oh. bag, which it probably has. <laughs> so there you are. I brought a CD in as well. So, oh, but not for this show, but for something else. But, you know, if you can't find yours, we'll see how we go. Oh, I know. It's CD. here. It has fallen out of the bag. Ah. It's sitting in here. Yeah, there we are. We'll, cool. get, we'll sort it awesome. out later. Um, all right. Anything you wanted to talk about? I'll pour some tea while we do that. Um, there's tea. Anyone want to rave on about something? Oh, I think I can complain about how cold it was this morning. That's yes, <laughs> yes, it was. The, I was saying to you, it was a cape in the door. That it was the first morning when I got on the bike and started riding here. When I suddenly thought, <laughs> "Gee, glove, it's almost getting to gloves time again." Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you ride a bike? Uh, yes, I did, and feel I loved the it. Same? Did yeah. you, it was no mishaps. <laughs> no, it no just reminds me of Tassie. Um, but the first yeah. morning when we've noticed the cold a bit, I think this morning. Uh, yeah, the t- today was the first morning. Of for me as well. Yeah. But I rugged up because I'm Tasmanian, so I just am used oh. to it. I just thought, like, great, I put my thermal on, I put my big woolen jumper on, I had a scarf and a beanie. You filled it home. Go. Exactly. If you were Melbourneian like us, you'd just be used to complaining about yeah. it. Yeah. You didn't realise there was a bass straight in the middle. <laughs> and it was really fun to ride. I love it in, in Tassie, in Hobart, when you ride, you tend to be a bit of a outlier, like you're an anomaly and people look at you a bit weirdly. Mm. I mean, people do ride, obviously, but there's not the same population. So in Melbourne, if you ride, you, you, you've you got all these people around you. I just think it's wonderful. I feel like mm. I'm in a peloton, mm. like in the Tour de France, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like, go ride up that hill or whatever. Well, the bike <laughs> yeah, path, was one of the uphill bike path was the first thing I'd get on, and I got on it. But uh, you have to wait for them to cross the road. You know, so I won't tell you how I do it, but you end up at the back of it all. And yeah. the next lights at Park Street 
In fact, mm. the two or three of us didn't get across before the lights broke out because Amazing. there were so many cyclists going across. So this I, in fact, diverted at that point. Yeah, mm. it's just like being in the Tour de France. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Without the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you are. And uh, something I'll just to start off with is something the next program might find, or will find obviously, and may comment on, find interesting because for a long time Joe Toscano has been <laughs> fighting to have Peter Norman recognised or honoured to much yeah. more than he was. And people know about Peter Norman's story. I don't know. Peter Norman was an Australian um, sprinter who in 1968 oh. at the Mexico Olympics won the silver medal in the 200 metres. And he stood up with the two um, two African Americans, um, uh, Smith and Carlos. Oh, yeah. Smith won it. Carlos was third, and he joined them in a black power thing. And they they held gloves up. In fact, they only they forgot one pair of gloves, and he was the one who said, <laughs> "Well, why don't you wear one each?" Uh, therefore, one's got a left hand, one's got a right hand up, mm-hmm. and he wore a badge supporting them. But then he was ostracised by the Australian Olympic community. After that, he was mm-hmm. he qualified for the next games, but wasn't selected. They didn't send a sprinter at all, and he still got. I think he still got the fastest two hundred metres of any Australian ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, at, even at Sydney, all those years later, he um, again was ostracised and not included. But the, you know, the Olympians who were on it and brought in so. Mm-hmm. There's been a fight on, and Joe has a day every year, Peter Norman Day, to um, not just his day, but it, they've named it Peter Norman Day, and he is um, Joe has a campaign every year to get him on it. Finally, at least Moreland Council, because he was at, he was, he lived in the area uh, and taught at schools there. Um, they're going to open um, unveil a plaque to him and an honour toward him um, sometime this year. So they the local council passed that. So at least it's a starting point. That's great in mm. getting Peter Norman's role honoured, which I think is really good. And mm. um, go Moreland. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that, so to speak. So that was good. That was good. Yeah. Um, one. Uh, just um, um, talking, we were just talking in the kitchen about lecturing at uni, etc. And um, the Melbourne, up at Melbourne, they're they're researching a an autonomous bus and autonomous cars, and they're, they're particularly researching an autonomous bus to travel around the uni uh, without a driver. And I thought to myself, this obviously must be in the politics department, because <laughs> really. Running around without a driver and aimlessly is um, is a is a well, obviously it's a microcosm of government, isn't it? So you, so that just struck me as being something worth uh, some stupid thing to say. Um, this year was the first year that a car, a driverless car, had an accident, wasn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. they all killed somebody. It was oh, in okay. America a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It was a it was a Uber car. Yeah. Mm. Sip of tea. Um, by the way, if you want to go. Um, and this is a, this is terrific um, and, and cheap. I mean, we can all probably. I, I said I'd shout you to that six hundred dollar steak. That was a six hundred. Mm-hmm. I think it was, wasn't it? Steak and a cruise. The other week. I and think a, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't shout you this, but I'm going to, have to pay for ourselves. But you can do the space trick, um, going to Aurora Station. They're currently taking bookings. And um, it's hoped to be launched in late 2021, and you can do the whole thing for a mere 12 and a half million each. <laughs> Is that with um, Elon Musk? Do you oh. go with Elon? Doesn't, doesn't mention Elon here. It's someone oh, else. Onboard entertainment. Um, yeah, yeah, but you get a 12 day stay, and you require special training, and it's only 12 and a half mil. So I reckon it's worth the trip. 
Uh, <laughs> I have an idea that uh, this uh, that uh, Elon Musk, you know, with all the globalization and everything, I think eventually there'll be like a world government, and mm. I think Elon Musk will be president of the world. <laughs> I think that's what he's aiming for. I think he he seems like he's kind of benign and like you know forward thinking yeah. and progressive, but I I feel like he's probably just ha- going maybe all like president of Mars or something. Yeah, Mars yeah. is more yeah. like yeah, <laughs> just like have this other world where everyone lives. Yeah, I get weird vibes from him. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yes. We're gonna look back in fifty years and be like, this why did we let Elon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you two might be, I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we mentioned we've mentioned a few times this year how mm-hmm. almost by the day the financial review was and still is. Put Pushing for tax cuts and how how important they are, but right now it's also jumped onto the NEG, which I think is not a bad name for it. Negative, um, the National Energy Guarantee, mm. the government's pushing. But it, there's suddenly day after day there are now pushes for that as well, and it kicked like Monday this week. The front page headline was "Back NEG Business Urges States." Um, so there you are, back neg, and then the editorial: all parties will gain from a neg consensus. Mm. And then yesterday, push on with the neg industry urges, almost the same headline. Um, and but the one I like this week though is uh, Josh Prydem Icebergs. I see no, no, Josh Brian Prydenberg. Um, he um, he has urged tennis energy companies to lower their prices. Now, of course, when the government owned all these, they could do that sort of thing, and beside which the prices wouldn't be so high in the first place, so all's well. Mm. But he's saying, um, uh, uh, tells energy bosses to lower prices, but of course he can't tell them. So what he's really saying is, would you lower your prices, please, please, <laughs> please? please? <laughs> you know, uh, desperately trying to get some something out of it. But mm. anyway, there you are. That's, um, well, Kevin, can you fill me in? What is the National Energy Guarantee? Well, it's the one... Uh, well, in the um, report that the chief scientist Finkel brought out, he made, he made 50 recommendations. One was a, a national energy policy which the government didn't like. It adopted 49 of his things immediately, and the mm-hmm. one it didn't adopt was the only one that really mattered. Mm. Um, <laughs> and they've gone for the National Seems Energy Guarantee, which Frydenberg says will guarantee that coal will be in the mix until 2070. So essentially, oh, it's, it's, to, it's to appease... When Elon's yeah. president yeah, of the world. Yeah, right, that's right. That's it. That's it. So it's just to appease uh, the industry and to ensure that the fossils remain part of it you know, the fossils yep, who organise the fossils will be um, fossiling on. Uh, and as I, as I pointed out the other day, it'll go to 2070 or the end of humanity, whichever comes first. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Something to look forward to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you might make it to 2070. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, that's on a serious note, that's where this whole energy thing is so cool. You've got men, mostly, almost almost men, men in suits with the big energy companies destroying the world. And it's your generations that are going to pay for it in the long term and uh, yeah it's crazy and cop it. Yeah. good morning everyone <laughs> <laughs> well that's so i mean it's just it's just bloody so selfish and dreadful yeah. now um bhp um started a mine some years ago at a place at cerro matoso it's in colombia uh, nickel nickel and i think it's got other things titanium as well or something else but anyway um this mine, and then they they hived off. They for for company purposes, they hived off, and a separate company, South Thirty Two, hived off from BHP mm. and started running this mine and some of its other assets. Uh, but the in Colombia, 
uh, where the courts, I think, aren't all that because we know that in Latin America, a lot of the, you know these big mining companies do terrible things mm. to the environment. Mm-hmm. But even in even in this case, um, it may have to reapply for its <laughs> license to run the project after facing a, and facing a hefty compensation bill after a court ruled that waste emissions from the mine and smelter had seriously affected neighbouring communities. Um, Colombia's Constitutional Court overturned a previous decision to deny compensation for the indigenous and Afro-Colombian communities affected by the operations, which has operated for more than 30 years and is one of the world's largest producers of ferro-nickel. The court found that waste from the mine in northern Colombia had led to community members being diagnosed with problems including lung cancer and high levels of nickel in their blood and urine. It ordered them to pay damages and provide permanent health care to locals, etc., etc. Now, the company, um, the company itself um, said that uh, we have today been notified of the decision handed down in relation to alleged health, and, alleged health and environmental impacts on the community surrounding the Chero Matoso operation. Now, the next line would be, we are upset, we are hurt. No? Okay. We are in the process of appealing the decision. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Keep it going. At this stage, it is not possible to fully assess, which shows that they split infinitives, any potential financial or operational impacts as the decision orders various compensated, etc. We are committed to... Con- now, this is what they all say, don't they? Where do you think... This line is just there. You just change the name of the company and place. <laughs> we are committed to contributing positively to the communities where we operate. And at Chero Matoso, mm. we are proud out of the work we do to support social and economic growth within the local community. What a oh. wonderful company. Aren't they wonderful? Oh. And they've established a local foundation that says it handed more than $1.3 million to a local Indigenous community in the past two years. So over two years, they've given them one point three, And in the last six months, they made $84 million. And oh. they gave them one and a half, one point three over two years. Generous. Oh. I mean, that's, that's the price can, of health, isn't it? How can yeah. they afford yeah. it? You've got to ask, how can they afford that sort of generosity? Whew. Anyway, the next day, <laughs> they're still appealing and carrying on. Um, and um, they have confirmed they've applied to nullify the judgment. And um, on they go. So uh, that's the latest for that little bunch. Um, it's disputed the finding that the miner is linked to health concerns. In a statement, the miner says the court did not pay sufficient attention to a medical report issued by the Colombian Institute of Legal Medicine, which could not establish a direct causal relation between the illnesses found in the population. But one of them was increases in nickel. Now, I, would, I, would, I would have thought just a chance that a nickel mine and people around it are getting increases in nickel, there might be some relationship. Mm. So sad. This is the psychology of capitalism that you can, like, there can be, like, o- like obvious health problems for people in those places and then an amount of money to some mm. other organisation in the geographic area yeah. is going to somehow be an equivalent mm. of... Resolving the fact that and people have health issues. Yeah, like, and that means that they have mm. no responsibility to mitigate those health issues whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, it's crazy. No, that sums it up pretty well. I yeah. thought that's, really, <laughs> that's it. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And um, well, just on that, by the way, speaking of Columbia, and, and this doesn't mention the company, which is a bit of a pity, but this is a report actually in the Herald <laughs> Sun of all places on the, um, on the, at the end of March, 28th of March, I found I just related to the last item. An oil spill of six hundred barrels has been has been oozing for weeks, has reportedly killed more than twenty four hundred animals in northern Colombia. 
The spill that started near the city, and I won't try to pronounce it, early this month stretches more than 25k in the Litzama River and 20k in the Sogamozo River. Animals affected by the spills include fish, birds and reptiles, said Claudia Gonzalez, director of the local environmental licensing authority. Emergency workers found 2,400 bodies of animals and rescued 1,300 live animals. About 70 families have received medical care for symptoms including vomiting, headaches and dizziness, but it doesn't mention which company mm. leaked the oil out. Mm. Mm. Now, that's the same country that uh, so obviously they're... They're having a great time with their minds and their Indeed. Yeah. A, yeah, jobs a, and growth. Jobs, jobs and, and growth. There's <laughs> yeah. a very long history of um, mining in Colombia and a lot of political stuff around that. Yeah. It's very fraught. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just um, another, this is a sad story because it's stopping progress. Um, <laughs> Rio Tito's Richard Bay Mineral Sands operation in South Africa remains shuttered after protests by contractors who supply the business blocked access to the mine. And it goes on, but it turns out that the the people who are uh, the work for the contractors to the mine um, are complaining about safety but more particularly the fact that they get paid stuff all. Mm. Um, and so they've blocked it. And um, so this poor old Rio's unfortunately suffering from that. Mm, that is a sad story. Yeah, the mm. drama at Richards Bay may may be good news, but this is there is some good news out of this. Um, the drama may be good news for Australian mineral sands producers, Iluca and Mineral Deposit, with experts <laughs> tipping prices of zircon and titanium dioxide could head north. That also highlights the continued difficulties in Australian miners operating in South Africa. South 32 is examining the spin-off of it, the, the same mob as mm. in Colombia, is examining the spin-off of its South African coal interests after changes to black ownership requirements for mining operations. I mean, how awful. In South Africa, the blacks might actually have an ownership. Mm. Oh, God, any wonder they want to get out. It's just a rosy industry, isn't it? We could bring South 32 here under Peter Duncan's I think that's a good idea, yeah. 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 Maybe they have a weapons manufacturing arm as well. I don't know. Because that's a good industry to (laughs) get going in Australia. Well, they certainly... some submarines. (laughs) They supply the material for the weapons anyway. Right. Well, good. Yeah, we should give them a call. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, call and some tax cuts. Yeah, yeah, no, that's bloody good. Okay. Uh, I saw that the Greens. This is a bit of news that I absorbed during the week that the Greens party was suggesting uh, legalizing marijuana, mm. and uh, I saw it on social media. Like I saw mm. things like and from the Greens, like right. you know, great idea, Greens, whatever. Yeah. I don't know the details of the policy, but then I saw I don't know what paper it was. Maybe the Herald Sun was just like Greens gone to pot. The yeah, <laughs> yeah they, that's right. That's they right. love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, of course, they got all—they dredged up all these people who said what a terrible idea it was. You know? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, lots of lots of America is now yeah marijuana is legal and yeah. for yeah, health reasons, for people to use medicinally. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. But also hemp itself. I oh, mean, it, it such has a great such, product. Yeah, it has yeah. so many bloody uses, and yet you know it's just ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh no, I heard last night someone came on saying that um, one of parliamentarian. I think that this just you know this is just the start. Once you're on marijuana, you, you get leads to the, the you know like bigger and worse drugs. Moving into politics, you end up becoming <laughs> a heroin addict. You know, like dying in the streets of Richmond or something. Like that. 
Yeah, uh, and less than a couple of weeks ago, before this um, this um, poison attack that or the chemical weapon attack or alleged chemical weapon attack, and of course they they now going to investigate whether it really happened. But they've taken the stand; they've already bombed. And, but that doesn't. Matter. Oh, this is in Syria. Yeah, it's mm. Syria. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've moved on to Syria. Sorry, <laughs> um, but a couple of weeks ago there was an airstrike that um, killed some people, and uh, it was suggested to be American aggression, and the Americans denied it. But it, and it may. may well be right in this case because it seems it was probably Israel but anyway one of them did it mm. uh, but they're all they're all denying madly but um, if Russia and Syria deny then they're lying so um, that's the difference isn't it? that's mm-hmm. the difference yep. um, but good news is we've appointed a new head of um, defence great yep a bloke called um, a bloke called Angus Dumbbell no, Angus Campbell sorry and um, <laughs> And what's his name? Um, Turnbull. That's his name. Turnbull said that you needed a man of high intelligence, and I thought, well, he's, you know, he's in the in the army, so it's questionable. But anyway, um, this is the bloke who, of course, ran the um, sink the boats campaign for oh. for Morrison. He was just have every night with Morrison talking about, it, and every question he was asked, he'd say, "I can't, I can't answer, I can't answer a question on what's happening on the high seas or something," oh. as they were sinking boats. So he's going to be a treat. This bloke, wow. but anyone who's in the army has to be a treat, anyway. In my opinion, so it's, <laughs> yeah. So that's it. And the other good news is that Malcolm says he won't rule out Australia being involved in any future action in bombing Syria. To um, isn't that great? Good. Yeah, because we're such an important part of all that. Of course, they, <laughs> they told us some some hours after it happened, which is, must have put you know, put old Malcolm off a bit. I would have thought. Um, there he is. Trump lashes FBI raids on his lawyer <laughs> as an attack on our country. He said. <laughs> yeah. So arresting his, arresting his lawyer as an attack on the whole country. It's <laughs> very loyal, Trump. Oh yes, he's um, he's a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. Look, it's twenty seven past. April will be ringing in shortly. Oh, yep. look, we'll play this CD I put in. What do you reckon? That sounds good. Yeah, but I've got to get it out of my bag. Hang on a tick. So I'll just put my bag here. I'll go in here. Make all these noises. Here's the CD. Now this is uh, we're going to play track uh, track five, track five of this. Um, I've had a bit of a love affair with this track this week, so I thought I'd bring it in. And it's um, in just pointing out it's a song that Frank Sinatra did a great version of, but much more up tempo. This is Diana Krall, great Canadian singer, and she does a very very low-tempo, wonderful version of a song. And I hope if people are having chicken and champagne, there's a line that says, like the bubbles in a sparkling in a glass of champagne. So there you are. Okay, we're putting Diana Crowell out there because it's a six-minute track and we've got April Bragg on the line. So... um, and April Bragg, you you could just keep singing. You could sing your part this morning, April. <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> if only, if only. But what a wonderful choice! Yeah, yes. great track. I hope the like the bubbles in a glass of champagne didn't get you rolling along there. And <laughs> <laughs> made me feel like going out and getting one. <laughs> very nice, very nice. All right, that was Diana Crowley, anyway, and this is April Bragg from the Housing with Age Action Group. And April, um, housing. Well, look, I'll let you. Kick off because yesterday you were talking about the, the the increasing numbers of particularly older people you're finding becoming homeless, and you think it's, you know, it's making groups like yours work so much more difficult. Yes, yeah, so um, nothing new that we've spoken about before, and certainly um, 
why we established a housing support service some years ago for, for older people. Um, and I, I suppose um, what I was talking about was that particularly since the public housing redevelopments uh, um, have been announced because um, when we looked at um, rehousing people and housing that would provide people affordability and particularly security of tenure um, and for older people adaptability of, of properties, public housing um, generally ticked all those boxes. So, and that's the um, tenure that we were really successful in um, re being able to rehouse people in a relatively quick time if we got them onto priority housing lists. And 99% of the people that presented our service are eligible for priority housing. Um, but with the redevelopments, and that means holding all the vacancies at the moment to be able to relocate people um, along with what we think the future will hold when those estates um, uh, being redeveloped, so we're mm -hmm. looking at three to five years, and then the uncertainty of what stock is being put back on those estates. Um, and of course, the big thing, while all of that's happening, that's being seen as the provision of new housing, a new housing stock to keep, you know, to keep pace with um, the amount that we need, isn't happening um, as well. So. Um, particularly our service, um, our Home at Last service in the last couple of months has been faced with um, people, again, the majority of the people that we see are long-term private renters, um, mm. might have been doing that 40, 50 years, often in the same dwelling, but now no longer um, uh, able to um, retain that housing, one, because of prices, but also because of all the development that's going on, um, properties are tending to, to be sold. Um, for you know, private housing. Um, so those people are faced with notices to vacate. So at the moment, we have quite a number of um, people facing eviction very shortly um, and nowhere, nowhere for them to, um, to be housed, particularly in the long term, in the near future. Um, we haven't really received any housing offers of any note um, in the last two to three months since the redevelopment um, has been flagged. Um, but also the short-term emergency housing options for older people um, aren't there in the sense that um, our emergency housing or transitional housing services work now mainly by putting people into private rooming houses. Um, and all the, all the problems that, that go with that, um, and for older people, um, definitely not, not an option. Mm. Yeah, it's serious. The, in fact, um, the Mayor of Moreland, who's... Um, has come out, he's written a piece in the council's news page this week in our local rag saying, when I first became aware of the Victorian government's intention of redeveloping public housing estates, I was excited by the prospect yeah. of a greater commitment. Now, he might be excited because he's a dlp but I'm not going to go into that. Um, but um, as, as more has been revealed, then he go, from there on he goes pretty well. The feeling of excitement has changed to one of great disappointment and he makes all the points you've just made that... Um, that we're, lo we're in fact we're totally losing out. He says the issue of public housing is particularly personal to me as my grandfather Bill Barry was Victorian oh. Labor Housing Minister 
in 45 to 47 and oversaw an enormous increase in public housing paid for rightly from government funds, not developer profits. Mm. And Moreland councils tried to work with the government to have a constructive input into what should happen at Grand Place, which is the one in Brunswick, of course. Some of, some of what we have suggested has been included in the plans to date, but recently Planning Minister Wynne advised that council will no longer be the planning authority for this site. Instead, the minister has made himself the sole planning authority for these projects, taking the role away from the six councils around metropolitan Melbourne. Now, that last point seems to be pretty serious, I would have thought, April. Yeah, and I think um, there was a, a news release or a press release that um, on um, the day before Good Friday... Um, what would we call that, Kevin? <laughs> um, anyway. Um, it's called Thursday. <laughs> no, no, it has another name. That's no, Holy Thursday, holy April. Thursday. Holy that Thursday. Was it. So holy. You, weren't, you weren't raised at a Catholic school, obviously. <laughs> yes. um, so on Holy Thursday, Minister Wynne, um, our planning, Victorian planning minister, I think called in the Flemington estate as, as well. So for all those walk-ups, and that's a um, really significant um, uh, development and piece of land but also what came out um, it has got some um, favourable press in the, in the sense about um, this being a really poor government policy I, I think it was the age um, yeah. had, a, had a piece and there of were a couple of very good letters responding to what the, what the age article had actually yeah, yeah. so that, that was really terrific but um, you know really um, you know um, jamming that the government isn't um, listening to what people are saying. But I thought in that article where it actually broke down how many private um, properties would be on that public land was really disgraceful. I think it was in the, out of the Ashburton site, something like 500 mm. Um, mm. properties would be private. Yes, and in fact, um, again, there's another article in our local rag which says, you know, makes the point that... Um, well, the point you've made several times that while the government's saying there'll be more public housing, in fact, there'll be less bedrooms, which is yes. critical. Um, and it makes the point that at um, at Grand Place of that 90, 91 will be offered as public housing. However, planning authority documents show 54 of those will be single bedroom, 31 two, and just five three bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And while exact figures couldn't be supplied. Um, the, the total of 131 bedrooms would fall well below Moreland Council estimates of at least 150 current residents, yeah. etc. And, and they say, make the same point for the Ashburton estate, where, again, there'll be less bedrooms than there were beforehand. Yeah, and in some areas where um, they know that they particularly uh, need to uh, build larger family properties, um, particularly in the in the moorland area, it's always been been the case that um, you know there are um, uh, residents with with larger families, um, particularly some of the um, cold communities, and there is a real need for you know four and five bedrooms, let alone mm. um, reducing them. Also, in the number of um, you know for the cohort we work with, um, unless you do something about the eligibility um, policies as well. Um, so most older people are only eligible for, for one bedroom. We've been pushing for years for the, you know, department to change that for two bedrooms, you know, ageing into the future, need for carers. But, um, you know, people still have family that stay over, particularly grandchildren. Um, a lot of the people that we see that have never applied for public housing before and think it's like private rental always say to us, well, we need that, that two bedroom. And I think we 
spoke um, the last time on the on the program, the Northcote redevelopment at Robert Street, where the needs of that older population um, that was living there, um, and the um, you know the housing was built, sorry, was designed around them to look at their ageing needs. So, um, as a compromise, the department wouldn't give the the two bedrooms, but it was certainly the you know the one point five units that allowed people to you know if they didn't have those caring needs, but also um, you know that extra space. So. Um, a lot of the women use it as a sewing room. Um, you know, people you know, set it up as a as a study. So, you know, it's not feeling that you're just crammed into mm -hmm. a small lounge room and a, and a one bedroom. So the the issue around, you know, space and how people use it certainly needed to be taken into account. And again, I'll argue that um, any redevelopment that happens and people always want to return um, to where they've left, where they're being relocated from, mm. um, the designs of those units can actually work around those returning um, tenants and their needs, um, particularly those people that have lived at Grand Place for you know over 30, some of them I think for, for 40 years, um, it can be accommodated, and it, and it doesn't mean that the housing can't be used if you know if they leave for any any reason. Mm. It's, um, but um, it, it certainly is the social engineering of our of our estates. Do you know if there was any process like that taken into consideration with the design of the redevelopments? Certainly wasn't in the design, mm. no. Yeah, um, what a shame. Yeah, and and of course some families, uh, I mean, when we were involved in the redevelopment of the Barclay Street um, estate um, at Brunswick with the high-rise, but where the walk-ups were um, uh, torn down and, and rebuilt, there are a number of families there that had children with profound disabilities. Mm. And so... Um, we were able to get the department and their architects to work with those families specifically about what they needed um, in terms of um, modifications. And those families are still living here, there to, to this day, and that's some 20 years later. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you actually put the effort or you commit, politically commit to, to consultation and the, you know, um, provision of a good standard of, of public housing, it can be done. What do you think, um, April, has, has uh, happened to inform this shift in values about, you know, how much responsibility we have and our government has to provide for people who are most vulnerable in, in terms of housing? And it seems like it's just deteriorated and people don't have yeah. the same commitment to it. Well, I blame Brian Howe. <laughs> <laughs> so just one guy, right? Yeah. So, okay. um, well, and why oh, I'd, I'd, I'd add Barry Pullen to that, though, as well. Yes, yes. But particularly... were, for those who don't know, they were, they, they were respectively federal and state ministers at a time when they began to cut funding to public housing. Yeah. Right. Under, in Labor governments, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and that was the beginning of the, the sell-offs of, of public land okay. with the... Um, particularly inner city areas, under the guise of that we will build public housing on mm. on the fringes. And mm. apart what from era that, was that? Uh, that was um, the that was the eighties and nineties. Yeah, early, late eighties, nineties. Yeah. Um, but uh, why I was saying Brian Brian Howe was the federal housing minister and federal mm. minister of social security at at that time. That um, was the the beginning of the push of government getting out of um, you mm. know its housing responsibility and started up the community housing sector, to which mm. we know these days as the social housing providers, so the housing associations, and put a lot of money into um, the states and those organisations at that time to start to build the foundation all on the basis that, um, you know, within 15 years, those associations were expected to 
stand on on their own feet and generate their own income to wow. expand the housing stock. So it was really a shift away or a plan to shift away at, at that point that if we were looking at um, low-income people that needed housing, it was going to be the responsibility of those housing associations. But, of mm. course, there's no, um, you know, um, we've talked about it before, there's um, no processes or um, checking in place that, mm. you know, they do need to to take people most in need. Um, they are businesses, even though they're not-for-profit. Mm, wow. So they need to risk manage, and that's where we've used that term before about cherry-picking tenants as well rather than, you know, taking off the waiting list. But but all just... I mean, it all comes down to mucking around, you know, the edges. There's no way mm. that those organisations um, can or should take responsibility for the housing need of, um, mm. of the country. Interesting. I mean, is this, is this, oh, by the by, but given that was Bertie handing it over to the, the warmth of Christian charity, um, it is interesting, and it may not have affected it at all, but that, that Howe was originally a Methodist minister before he went. So just, just, a, just an aside there. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and April, how are these associations, um, um, how does the model work? How, does it, how do they raise funds? Um, well, at the, well, they had a oh, probably for that 15, 20 years that I've been talking about. They had a lot of um, garret, um, government subsidy, mm-hmm. or at least underwriting of their of their loans. Um, but um, they're now at that point um, of being a, you know should be and, and some do generating their own income from the from the portfolio. Um, but again, um, a lot of them not large enough to be able to to do that. Um, I suppose at, at um, mm. you know a level to be self that self sufficient, and that's where the argument about transfer of public housing stock to those providers comes in as well. Um, a lot of them now manage public housing stock, but um, not being able to have portfolios large enough, they're mm. pushing all the you know it's. Um, you know, fait accompli, really. Um, and we've mentioned it before, but it also leads to them picking people whom they think yeah. can afford the rent. Yeah. So the most needy yeah, don't exactly. get picked because they think they mightn't be able to afford the yeah. rent. Yeah. And they can set rents um, depending on the site um, at different different levels. Generally, it's 30% of people's um, gross incomes or mm-hmm. base rate of pension. Um, plus a hundred percent of Commonwealth rent assistance, but you know the the cherry picking, as, as we say, um, what's happened over time is that certainly people on New Start, um, because they they wouldn't be able to pay a high enough rent level, um, get overlooked, and um, mm. um, people on age pension or disabilities are generally the the ones that do get in from that mm. percentage that they're now supposed to take from what's known as the common waiting public. And so, and so those people that don't get picked, um, do they have any other options? Well, no, that's um, what I'm talking about. Mm. We're really struck because with the um, uh, with the the freeze on public housing vacancies at the moment, and then how long the redevelopments will will take, and we're not building any new public housing. Social housing vacancies are, are you know what we're looking at now, but you know again. Um, it's, there's no rhyme and reason as to that allocation system. Um, for instance, where, you know, there's a women's housing organisation that opened up um, a, a brand new site. Um, us and a whole range of agencies put um, 
you know, a lot of people forward, a lot of women forward and really vulnerable women. Um, mm. And, of course, that exceeded the, the stock. But, again, mm. we're asking what the criteria was in prioritising women because, mm. you know, we've got a woman in her 70s, um, lung, um, you know, lung, heart and lung disease, um, living in a garage and has mm. done that through extreme weather over over summer and we couldn't stress enough. Um, she mm. was also put forward by mm. by the department as well. Um, mm. And we couldn't stress enough how, you know, she was the priority that should have been considered, mm. um, of course, along with women facing family violence. But mm. that's how mm. she ended up in that situation and she wasn't... Um, she wasn't chosen as an applicant, as, yeah. a, as a tenant. Did they uh, Did they explain why they wouldn't? I mean, we, we can guess why, but well, did, they, did just, they give a give a reason? Well, they just said that applicant. You know, the number of um, nominees that they had exceeded the the amount of stock, and that was a large site. I think it was forty five units on it. So, and you, and you see, it's just all this. Um, it's what we do <laughs> as agencies of you know, clawing over each other and pushing mm. our, our clients forward and, mm. and, you know, dealing with, with their distress. I mean, the woman I'm talking about, um, you know, this was um, maybe the... Because, you know, they'll meet people and you've got to always be saying to, to a client, um, just because you're meeting them doesn't mean you're going to get an offer. Um, we, work, we walk through with them the interview um, yeah, process... Mm. In, you know, almost wording people like like you do in a, in a mm, job, job interview, interview yeah. to how do you, how do you show the best um, face? Because we yeah we don't know and we know that they are discriminating. Mm. So, and the ex you know we ask for an explanation, particularly about that woman, and ask the department to um, inquire about that as well. But you know we haven't got an answer to that. Mm. I heard over the week, April, that um, middle-aged and elderly women um, are the grow fastest growing demographic in the homelessness sector. Is that true, according to your experience? Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's mainly, I, I mean, our service is a bit different to other homelessness-funded services, I suppose, but we've always seen more women, um, probably about 70% of our, um, our data is um, mm. older women mm. over... over um, over 60, but what we have been seeing um, and why we're seeing more people is particularly that group of older women who are now on New Start that don't qualify for age pension mm. um, until they're almost in their late 60s. Mm. Um, and that was the Labor Party, Labor government um, shift in the age eligibility, which was just outrageous. And mm. An ally to that, there's, they're increasingly putting people off the disability pension back onto New Start, which yes. means they, and yes. that must create even more problems. Mm. And I often yeah. see people that um, on New Start that can't work because of their disabilities, and mm. Um, mm. say, have have you applied? And 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 they have, of course, and they just can't get through the the criteria. Um, do, You've do got you... to be ninety percent dead before you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when when you're asking people to try and survive on that amount of money, and they've already oh. become homeless, um, yeah. you know, and have medical needs, and at that time of their life that they're starting to 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 age and start and the, to feel that. The average rent in Melbourne is an entire new start allowance, basically. Mm. Yeah. 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 Sorry, even even. Mm. Yeah. And April, what are you, what is Housing for the Aged looking at doing? It seems like oh. such an intractable position. And if people are listening, what can people do? Because, yeah, it seems like a crazy situation. Mm. Well, I suppose it's um, 
you know what we've always done. What we've always done is is campaign. Um, mm. You know, put the the data out there, put the the faces and the stories out there. Um, mm. And but uh, we are saying in our organisation, um, you know, after the our experience of the last um, two months, I guess, mm. what are we doing here? Mm. Um, we've never wanted to be a service that manages people's homelessness mm. um, and keep them in that holding pattern with no, mm. you know, um, hope of any, you know, long-term housing mm. outcome. When we mm. first set up the service in, in 2012, we thought that we were achieving that in part. We did recognise that, you know, it's a bit like housing the nation one by one, mm. but we were able to, to feed into policy development and the like. But here we are now um, at the stage of managing homelessness and, you know, we'd be sort of really thinking what we do about that and what's worthwhile about that. I mean, people will always need support, but mm. um, what they need more than anything is a house. So um, the only thing um, we, we can do is to, to make sure that um, particularly our federal politicians mm. hear us, you know, really loud and clear. And we said on this program lots of times, um, for us it's just not, um, of course, we concentrate on the older people because that's, um, you know, what our organisation does. But this affects every family. I, mm. I reckon our young people, we've talked about the casualisation of the, the workforce, what's mm. their hope of housing security into totally. the future. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a very grim, grim future. Um, and I guess on, on the one hand, there will be a federal election coming yep. up in the next... 12 months probably yep. so so everyone's got to take this up to the and inundate yeah. their local member of, yep. of parliament and they're talking about it too but there's no mm. um, political will um, my um, co-worker Jeff had a meeting with um, Doug Cameron who's Labor's um, shadow housing minister and yep. um, you know really great sounds like um, they wouldn't announce what they were saying but said we'd be very happy and particularly mm -hmm. around housing support mm. uh, rather than housing outcomes but until mm. there's, um, you know, real political yep. um, courage mm. <laughs> to deal with, you know, housing supply. Mm. Um, so that's what, you know, we've got to be pushing for the, for the bigger picture. Yeah, and, but all the solutions, which we've mentioned again, we keep repeating ourselves, don't we? But we've mentioned so many times that all the solutions put up by governments involve the private sector being involved yep. rather than just putting the money directly into public mm -hmm. housing. And that's it. I mean, that's where it ought to be yeah. going. Um, in fact, our, our listeners um, rang, and I've got no doubt who the listener is either, but um, um, he, he, I'm sure it's a he, said every week a church is sold for millions of dollars in the inner yes. city. The profits could house many, many people in need, etc. And, of course, that's correct. Yeah. But, yeah. And you and I had yeah. that conversation. I mean, one of, the, one of the big things too, um, we had that conversation yesterday about the railway, the Bank of Railway Land. Yes. Um, you know, in um, your neighbourhood. my place. Kevin, yeah. yeah. Um, but Jeff mentioned to me this morning um, he was we uh, he was listening to a footy program um, last night, and we heard that AFL announcement of public money going into mm. um, you know the stadiums. Yeah, I've, and I've then got all that stuff here to bring, raise with you, everyone. But yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. he he was saying what was mentioned on that is that not only that, but there looks like um, that. The AFL is going to be given public land to expand mm. its court headquarters, and that public land's down near the, you know, that um, the Star Wheel, you know, the Ferris wheel thing. Mm. Um, yeah. So Dockland, so which is of course all, all public land. So those those um, those actions that you know there should mm. be 
an absolute outcry about. Mm. But in Victoria, it just seems that, you know, it goes along and it's, mm. no one bats an eye. <laughs> well, just recently, I bought a couple of, couple of cuttings here. In uh, Back in March, there was a piece in the Financial Review, results in AFL, the richest code by far and all the millions it makes. And then a few days later, another headline, Etihad Stadium has transformed AFL into a financial powerhouse. Etihad Stadium's that Dickland's place. Um, and that um, and points out that, um, that it's, um, you know, it's, just a, it's now just a goldmine for them ha- owning this stadium, and yet they're getting half a billion dollars or something off the state government to redevelop something mm. that's going to make them much, lots of money when we're, we're on this program saying we can't put people in housing. Yes, yeah. Mm. And, yeah, and any other public institution that we should have as well. It's just, Investing I, I mean, what, in, can yeah. you, what can you... I mean, what can you say? Yeah. We've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's just... just think, oh, I, I don't know. I was watching um, um, part of the parliamentary inquiry into the Royal Commission into the banking um, yeah. sector the, the other day where they had the AMP guy on. And mm. um, and my point in linking this was, I, I mean, just the, the scandalous stuff where, yeah. you know, they had falsified things and lied. And, and I mean, it was thrilling viewing <laughs> and and that's it i mean they're the they're the institutions that mm. the government say uh, uh, you know can look after us and you know stimulating the economy um, yeah and the scale of the scale of the financial <laughs> elements of it and the the mm. wealth that's sitting there yeah. and in this country which you know yeah. we could be applying that to compassionate action yeah. for people who are vulnerable yeah, yeah. Well, C-Bus <laughs> is, is a good example, yeah. which, you know, is one of the biggest developers and a big office and residential space yeah. in the country, and yet it's workers' money and not a yeah. cent going into the things we're talking about. Yeah, and we did have those um, conversations with um, particularly those, those unions about, you know, their super, super fund before it grew into C-Bus, um, you know, about, um, you know, social responsibility and programs and, and the like, and always amazed that that fell on deaf ears in terms of that mm. then being, you know, the, the major funder of, um, I should say, commercial construction mm. in the country, Kevin. Despite real estate agents doing their best to help us, um, there's <laughs> not in my very, very, very quick comment. Prime Residential Property Management founder Melissa Hickson uh, wrote, um, and this is at Hyatt, um, to peep around this tenant, um, to keep a close eye on its tenants, but needed public watchdogs to keep their eyes and ears peeled. We're very fussy about the tenants who rent through our agency and we'd like to ensure that the neighbourhood is happy with the tenancy at all time. We conduct regular inspections and drive past the property all the time, but we can't be in your street at 11 on a Saturday night to make sure that the noise levels are kept under control and we'd like to ask for your help with this. You live in a lovely street and area and we want to help keep it that way. Um, and so she's asking people to spy on tenants, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> that that seems a reasonable thing. She said also though that she um, she they've actually had no problems with this tenant. She's really great. So I don't know why she sent the letter. Uh, just to let the neighbourhood know we're now the managing agent. So that was pretty good. But um, yeah. anyway, now that's spy on me. your tenants. Don't start me on real estate real estate agents. Mm. They definitely do that. They should work for ASIO. Their tracking of people on social media is just um, breathtaking. April, we're out of time. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, just as closing on, the, on that social media monitoring, um, we did have a conversation with um, an Office of Housing um, 
uh, office about doing that to a, on, a, on a tenant the other week as well. So, yeah. Mm. Well, maybe but be next careful month. Up there. We'll get to that next month. Then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've cheered people up enough this morning. Let's. Uh, <laughs> thank <laughs> thank you, April. Thanks, thanks for calling everyone. in April. Okay, thanks. No April. worries. Thanks. April Bye. Baker House with Action Group.